0: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store
1: to make the switch today. Houston,
0: we have a podcast. Diving diving deep. deep, Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast. And
1: pro football hall of famer, the
0: general, Sean McClain. Welcome welcome, to Utopia Hey, welcome in everybody. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. It is week two, our preview edition of the Texans traveling to Denver on Sunday, 325 kick to take on the Denver Broncos, the 00-1 Texans taking on the 0-1 Denver Broncos. As we welcome you in, we'll do our pregame six pack shortly. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast in the mornings on Sports Radio 610. Joined as always by the Hall of Famer, SportsRadio610.com senior texans columnist and of course gallery as well john mcclain john how are we doing today
1: i'm great john and of course i can be heard five days a week on sportsradio 610.com including twice on texans radio there you go when are your texans radio hits john what days uh, it, uh, monday morning at 8 30 and thursday at 6 p.m
0: okay so it's still thursday all right i gave out the right day when i when i bumped it when you were on with uh, me and seth Wednesday morning this week. I said, I think it's Thursday, and uh, that's what I thought. Okay, so good. Yeah, so five times a week on Sports Radio 610. John's all over the place, and um, and uh, you can check out his uh, observations on the Texans heading into this game against Denver on Sunday on Sports radio 610com So let's get right into it, John. The Texans travel to Denver. The Texans with a tie on their ledger right now, and that's it. They've never tied before until last Sunday against the Colts, and Denver coming off probably – one of the more high profile losses of the week that included actually both of these coaches, and we'll probably get into this in the six pack we're about to do, but both of these coaches coming off of games, Lovey Smith and um, Nathaniel Hackett of the Broncos, both coming off games where decisions they made towards the end of the games were highly controversial within their fan bases. Um, so if, if you had to pick between the two, I think it's probably a no brainer as to which one was the sillier decision of the two, right? Yeah. Hackett wins that contest.
1: Yeah, only one of them's got a loss after their controversial <laughs> there <you> decisions. Go. <laughs> Hackett, of course, he didn't really apologize. The next day, he said he would go for it, but the way he said it, it's almost like he was made to do it or was forced because he was kept talking about had to get to the forty-six instead of just leaving it. That we had the forty-six marked the whole time, and it just to me was kind of hollow. And Lovey, of course, said he'd do the same thing. And when you look back at how bad the offense was and how bad the defense was in overtime, he didn't have any confidence in his offense getting that first down or his defense keeping the Colts from getting a couple of completions and maybe kicking uh, the winning field goal and let his blanket ship. Uh, choked it like they did the previous one before, which got him fired. So I think Lovey was probably relieved when he saw that Monday night game and how it was resonating (laughs) around the NFL. Yeah, in a weird way. Yeah, relieved in the moment, but in a weird way, the
0: fact that he's playing against Hackett this week almost highlights what Lovey did last week because now you got two coaches that probably made the most controversial decisions, at least within their fan bases. And Hackett's was controversial far beyond the fan base. I think people just thought he was idiotic for doing – what he did on Monday night against the Seahawks. Now they're going against each other this week. It's just uh, one of those little wrinkles in the schedule. It's a coincidence, but it's a, it's a really interesting one. Passion, drive and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die
1: alive. eBay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Um, all right,
0: so let's get into it, John. Let's do our pregame six pack. You and I each pick out six things to look at going into Sunday's game. The Texans traveling to Denver, 325 kickoff. Of course, if you're listening to this, 1225 Texans countdown on Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. Me and Seth Payne, and then postgame after that with me and Clint Sterner. John, as always, I give you the
1: honors pregame six pack. What is your first thing to watch for on Sunday? It's what everybody else is going to be watching for. Lovey Smith said this week that they should have gotten Damian Pierce more carries this next game against the Broncos. They want to get him more carries. Pep Hamilton determines all that. Pep determines who plays, what the calls are, what the adjustments are, and uh, I think that Lovey will let him know we got to get Pierce the ball more than Rex Burkhead. I wrote a column on Gallery Sports. It's time to pull the plug on Burkhead and give Pierce the heavy duty work. And you can bring in Pierce on third down or giving Pierce, I mean, bringing Burkhead on third down, giving Pierce some breathers. And uh, he doesn't have to touch the ball 25 times a game, but it's got to be more than than 11. It's got to be something that to me, Sean, it would be close to 20. And I'll tell you something I think is really asinine. I've seen people uh, talking about, Pierce is not the guy. They already know that. And I and I told you and Seth Payne this on uh, Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, but I looked up the first game of every 1,000-yard rusher last year, plus Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Taylor had nine carries for 22 yards. Nick Chubb, three for 21. Joe Mixon, eight for nine. And I go down uh, uh, Zeke Elliott, 20 carries, 51 yards. Derrick Henry, five carries, three yards. That guy wasn't going to be any good. They should have cut him. Alvin (laughs) Kamara, seven carries, 18 yards. And the only one that did really well was Dalvin Cook of the Vikings. He had 22 carries, 127 yards in a victory over New Orleans. So it's rare for a top back to explode out of the gates like Dalvin Cook did. But that's why maybe Pierce will be a huge failure, but you can't judge it on one game.
0: John, when you give those numbers, you're saying those were their first games of last year when they ran for a thousand yards. Those No, no. First- rookies. First rookies. game of
1: their rookie year.
0: Okay. Gotcha. So their first
1: games in the NFL went like that. I got you. Just that's like Damien Pierce, 11, yep. up 30, 11 for 33 and his was you know, wow. not much worse than most of them. And no. the thing about Henry three yards on five <laughs> I was going to
0: say, yeah. What was, happened? Yeah, no, it was it was better than a half of them. I mean, he was, he was Eric Dickerson compared to half those guys you just named. So um, I, I'm with you on that. And I, I would say this, as, as unapologetic as Lovey Smith has been all week about his decision to punt uh, at the end of overtime there, he, I think, has been equally contrite, I'll call it, about the – curious usage of the two running backs like he's he's made really no secret that uh, Damian Pierce should expect uh, more
1: more work this weekend against the Denver Broncos are you reading that the same way I am absolutely and hopefully that means less for Rex Burkhead Burkhead averaged 2.9 yards a carry to team 2.8 and they were worse 77 yards 2.8 a carry than they were last year when they averaged 93 and Three point four. Both were worse than the NFL. If they can't run the ball better against the Broncos, they're going to get beat.
0: Yep. All right. My uh, my next one, John, is um, the uh, Texans secondary, specifically the corners against the. Well, secondary. I'll say the secondary. Let me just back up. I'll say the pass coverage, the pass defense for the um, for the Houston Texans um, against Denver. If you watched that game on on uh, Monday. Um, and you don't need to watch the game on Monday to know Jerry Judy pretty good receiver. He had a touchdown where he ran away from the defense in that one. We know Cortland Sutton is a guy who's flirted with the Pro Bowl before they got weapons on the outside. I was really impressed with how Russell Wilson got both the tight ends involved that Albert. Uh, oh, what's his name? And uh, the kid Beck, who had a nice one handed catch in the first half. He was he he made some plays and Javante Williams was much more involved in the passing game than he was in the run game. He only carried the ball seven times, but he caught 11 passes out of the backfield. Um, I, I think the the matchup on the outside with uh, Jerry, I'm guessing that Derek Stingley Jr. is going to see a lot of Jerry Judy, and maybe Nelson is the one they put on Cortland Sutton, or we'll see if they're probably going to play a lot of zone like they normally do the Texans. But even more so, those tight ends and the running backs out of the backfield, Kamu Gruzier Hill was targeted 16 times in that game against the Colts. They were picking on Kamu Gruzier hill throughout that game. So I think pressure on Gruzier hill pressure on those corners. Jalen Petrie and Jonathan Owens at safety are probably going to have some responsibility uh, both on those tight ends and maybe playing a little slot receiver as well, uh, a little slot corner as well, Desmond King um that's one of the matchups i'm going to be watching the the seahawks or it's the seahawks the broncos moved the ball against the seahawks through the air quite a bit russell wilson threw for about 340 yards in that game the problem was they get down to the one yard line twice and they fumbled it both times you know if they punch both of those in we're talking about um you know we're talking about a, a a game where they go on the road and score 30 points in that game as opposed to losing 17 16 um so i that's That's a matchup I'm keeping a a big eye on. That's one that the Texans need to at least hold steady. I'm not saying you got to hold the Broncos to you know 200 yards passing or anything like that, but they have so many weapons, and I, I I actually think, you know Taylor is obviously a great weapon, as is Michael Pittman. But I think between the two backs that the that the Broncos have, Williams and then Melvin Gordon as well as the, the receivers on the outside and the tight ends, I, you know, and not to mention the guy delivering the ball. This is a more dangerous
1: passing offense than the one that they saw in week one with Matt Ryan. I agree, and especially about the one-yard fumbles. If they had not done that, nobody would be ridiculing Nathaniel Hackett for being a moron. He'd just be another first-time coach with a, with a defeat.
0: Yep. All right, what's your next one, John? Pre-game six-pack. We got, we got two in the books. We got four to go. What's your next one?
1: Jerry Hughes and Jonathan Grenard. Both of them played well. Hughes, two sacks in the second interception of his career. Grenard made some plays in the backfield. Grenard's got to get Russell Wilson. Wilson loves to spin out of the pocket when he sees pressure coming up the middle and not just to his right. He spins to his left and he's very accurate, even though it cuts down about a quarter of the field. So they got to set the edge and beware of that. And, They've never beaten Russell Wilson. Wilson is 3-0 and against the Texans. He's completed 55 of 92 for 845 yards, six touchdowns, two interceptions, and seven sacks. And he beat them last year, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 260 yards in NRG Stadium, 33-13. But his greatest performance was in 2017, was kind of Deshaun Watson's last game before he blew out his knee in practice. And Wilson had that great drive at the end, win 41-38. He finished with 452 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. So, he has dominated the Texans and he's going to again if they can't get pressure on him whether it's outside or inside.
0: You remember the 2013 game, John, against the Texans at he NRG Stadium?
1: 23 to 20. He was he wasn't good at all. 123 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, and they lost by three.
0: Yeah, you remember that was in overtime. You remember the big play in that game? That was uh, back when Shaw uh, was in the middle of his pick six brigade there, throwing he, the
1: ball to Owen Daniels yeah, and uh, Richard Sherman, and he, and, and Gary Kubiak told him on the sideline, "If Od's not open, throw it in the ground or throw it in the stands, and the rest is history." They'd started two and zero.
0: It started two and zero. They were two and one, I think, going into that game because they lost to oh boy, I think it was maybe Baltimore in week three that year, and they were two and one going into that game. <laughs> and – I would submit that that was that sequence where Richard Sherman had that pick six was one of the most pivotal sequences of the Gary Kubiak era, because that was that was eye opening, John. I mean, the shop had already thrown two pick sixes that season in the previous two weeks, one against the Titans, one against the Ravens. And that was like, holy smokes, another one? Wow. And then he'd throw another one on the third play of the game the following week against San Francisco. I was at that game. That was the season before I got to Sports Radio 610. I used to be able to travel to games with Amy, and we were sitting right in the end zone where Tremaine Brock ran it right into our laps practically – on a pick six, good. I see. I, I, I knew you're like a historian, John. I knew that if I quizzed you on that, you'd have you you'd have all the numbers uh, 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 soaked into your brain. Yeah, I have them uh, written down. That's how I know. Oh, them. And I thought, John, I'm trying to I'm trying to cover for you. I'm trying to make it sound like you had total recall on this.
1: They were coming off that best record in team history, second round of the playoffs when they wanted San Diego in that late game. Then they beat the Titans. I thought, wow, they're picking up right where they left off last year. And that, to me, the Sherman play was not just one of the biggest ones It Kubiak's career. It was one of the biggest in franchise history because I don't know anybody that thought they were going to lose that game, including the Seahawks people. Yeah. They thought that they were going to lose that game, and they were never the same, and Schaub was never the same after that either.
0: And Seahawks would go on to win the Super Bowl that year. <laughs>
1: was, I mean, talk about a fork
0: in the road. That's, that's a wild one right there. All right. Um, So we've got three. We got three to go in the pregame six pack. My second one here, John, my second one isn't necessarily a a player or a position group. I guess it's a position group in that it's the Texans defense overall, really the team overall probably, but especially the defense. They played 92 snaps on Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts. I can't think of a worse place to have to go play after having a, a, a game where you played 92 snaps, 31 of them carries by Jonathan Taylor, where he's just, you know, he's He's beating you up. He's running you over like a diesel. Uh, 92 snaps, and you got to go to altitude to play in Denver. So one of my things to watch, John, is just going to be the legs of this defense. I could really see this, and we'll get into our predictions in, in just a little bit. I could really see this being a game where the Texans hang in for a little while, and then they get worn down just because of the combination of the altitude along with the usage last week. Half of the starters on defense, including the entire secondary, all played 100% of the snaps. Jalen Petrie and Derek Stingley Jr., John, in the first games of their career, played every single snap of a 92-snap game. So I guess there's a silver lining there in that Derek Stingley's foot must be just fine if the Texans are leaving him in there for 92 snaps in the opener in an overtime tie. But I think that's something to watch is just what's the second half look like defensively for the Texans when you combine altitude with a an extreme, extreme workload for a lot of these guys from the week before? All right, so that's that's my second one. John, what's your third one on the pregame six-pack?
1: Last time they went up there, they beat them. Remember Brandon McManus missed a field goal? I do. Right at the end, I was standing down on the field in the end zone, ready to go ask negative questions, and I look up, and the Texans are jumping across the field. I kind of think that first game helps get them in shape for the Broncos game, but we'll see. Um Davis Mills got to throw the ball better for an entire game, and he's got to throw the ball down the field more. Other than the gadget play, the 42-yard completion to Brandon Cooks, the wideouts caught 12 passes for 97 yards, and that's that's not 11 passes for 97 yards, and that's not good enough. And they need to get to the red zone more because that's where – Hard to believe, but Mills was, I think, the best red zone quarterback in the NFL last year. And if he'd have been in there more, they might have won some more games. But Mills has got to be consistent. And uh, he he was really good. He was good for three quarters, and then he was terrible for the fourth quarter in overtime. And a lot of that was his teammates, especially some veterans making kind of incomprehensible mistakes in clutch situations. So I think Mills. Yeah, Mills, that, that, I mean,
0: that's a good one. He he hit a bunch of different receivers. The problem was a lot of them he hit once, you know, like you could look at the box score and go, wow, look, nine different guys caught balls in this game. Yeah, but Brandon Cooks was still targeted more times than all the other receivers put together in that game. You know, he, he was still targeted, I want to say 12 times. Burkhead being targeted eight times is just something that can't ever happen oh. again in a game. Um, and then nobody was targeted more than three times outside of those two guys. I got no problem with targeting Brandon Cooks 12 times if the other targets are being distributed amongst guys who can go make plays for you. You know, Burkhead's not a playmaker. You know, Nico Collins needs to get targeted more than three times in a game. You know, I maybe he wasn't getting open. I don't know. I'd probably have to watch the all 22 from last week to know what he was doing play to play. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 with you on that. Uh, Mills Mills needs to be a lot more of the first three quarters of that game, Mills, than the last quarter of the game. No question. Um, target
1: bro, Target OJ Howard targeted twice, two touchdowns. Get him in the game more and get the ball. To
0: yes, him. literally every time he catches the ball as a Texan, it's a touchdown. Just throw the ball to OJ Howard. That's what you got to do, Davis. If you if you're downloading the Utopia Football Podcast, Davis Mills. Take it from John McLean and Sean Pendergast. Just throw the feed, OJ Howard. That's it. Um, my last one, John, and I'm I'll, I'm going to circle back to the two head coaches in this one. And look, you, the Texans are a ten point underdog, so hopefully this comes into play. But you got Lovey Smith who made, I think, what people I, Lovey Smith actually made what was mathematically probably a, an intelligent decision. Just if you know, if you didn't want to lose the game because his offense and defense were both playing uh, pathetic, to use a word you like to use. Um, but I think a lot of people criticizing him because hey, it's early in the season. You're uh, coaching a rebuilding team. You play to win. You don't play to tie that kind of thing. Um, so a, a lot of criticism for for Lovey Smith, and of course, there's the Damian Pierce criticism for him as well. Hackett's criticism was a lot more acute and more universal, and much more grounded in statistics and analytics. That what are you doing, dude? You're you're trying. You're choosing to do something that has like an eight percent chance of being successful versus a fourth and five with a quarter of a billion-dollar quarterback. I'm anxious to watch both of these coaches, particularly Nathaniel Hackett, who is one game into his career. You know, lovey has been around the block several times. But if this is a game that's tight in the third and fourth quarter where decisions by these coaches, whether it's replay or whether it's uh, decisions to go forward on on fourth down, Lovey was very conservative with that as well, even playing at home. There was a fourth and two in that game. Uh, On the flea flicker drive that they chose to kick a field goal, there was the fourth and three. Uh, in the early fourth quarter where he chose to punt from the 36-yard line of the Colts um, uh, where, you know, a field goal or uh, going for it might have been the better choice. And then obviously the, the the overtime punt. Lovey had some some very conservative decisions. Nathaniel Hackett obviously had the goofy decision at the end. If this game's close in the third and fourth quarter, which coach is going to be the one that, that flinches? Which coach is going to be the one that 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 makes a mistake. I think these two coaches are going to be under the microscope for this game. So I'm I I actually feel decent about the coaching matchup for Lovey Smith, just based purely on experience and then and then Hackett's inexperience showing itself on Monday night in a big, big way.
1: One thing that Hackett has to do is to rely on Russell Wilson. He got this job because of Aaron Rodgers and because of his daddy Paul Hackett, who was a head coach in college, longtime quarterback coach, coordinator in the NFL and when he's in a situation that's in doubt on offense, let Russell Wilson be the one that decides the success or the failure, not a boneheaded call. I saw a stat um, on fourth and five. I think that's what they had. The success rate is 48%. Yeah. And and the per- success rate on 64, they went back, gosh, like the Super Bowl era, and it's like, five percent so obviously they didn't have an analytics person up in the press box telling him what to do in the headphones but i think he will rely on his 245 million dollar quarterback and they got a lot more talent than the texas they do and, and they're they got a talent at skill positions or offensive line is better but i think lovey is is a defensive coordinator and it is rare for a defensive coordinator to be a head coach and be considered aggressive. Brandon Staley of the Chargers was a defensive coach, and he, he was a coordinator for one year. And he is aggressive because he's younger, and he is so married to analytics to their detriment last year that kept him out of the playoffs. But by and large, Sean, you know this, those defensive coaches are just by nature conservative when they're head coaches.
0: Yep, indeed. Indeed
1: John, what's your prediction on the game? I'm going to take Denver to win this game 30 to uh 17.
0: Okay. I I've got Denver 30 to 13 in this game. I just think this is a game where the Texans get worn down throughout the game. There's just too I think there's too much firepower. And I think Denver being 0-1 is the worst thing that could happen to the Texans in this Ooh, game, especially you're right. the way that they lost. Like Denver is not De- Denver's not going 0-2 to start the season. They've got big they've got big hopes and dreams. And John, they can't. They cannot go 0-2 and lose games to the Seahawks and the Texans. In that AFC West, you you know, that AFC West, John, You know if you're any of those teams, the Chiefs on down, you're looking at your schedule and you look at what that division looks like and you've said it yourself, it's one of the hardest divisions you've ever seen in your 50 years of covering the NFL. Um, You you look at your schedule and you go, man, okay, at least we can count on winning these games. And I guarantee you the Seahawks and the Texans are two of those games for the Broncos. They go 0-2 in those two. They're sunk. They're done. Like you you could argue that the Broncos in week two here are kind of playing for their season a little bit because you go 0-2 to start off against the Seahawks and the Texans, which I don't expect them to do, but if they did. um, And you haven't played any games in the division yet. You haven't played any of the hard teams in either of those divisions you cross over with yet. You know, they're playing the Seahawks. That means they got to play the Rams, the Niners, and the Cardinals still. They're playing the Texans. They've got to play the Colts and the Titans still and not to mention all six six games in their division. So this is a huge – it sounds weird to say, but it's a huge game for the Broncos.
1: It is, but I don't think that uh, we'll be saying stick a fork in them after Sunday. I don't either.
0: Yeah, obviously, I don't, I don't either. So I
1: think the Broncos win, and they cover.
0: John, of the other games, just shifting gears real quick before we get out, um, the other games this weekend, you know, the marquee games this weekend, actually one of them, we're recording this on Wednesday. It drops on Thursday. So if you're listening to this on Thursday morning – the game tonight is a great one. Speaking of the AFC West, the, the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Los Angeles Chargers. I think a lot of people think that other than the Bills, the, these two could be the two teams that wind up. It's tough being in the same division, you know, because one of them's going to have to go on the road in the playoffs. But these might be, other than the Bills, the
1: two best teams in the AFC. Next year, first game, bet on Patrick Mahomes. He's incredible in first games. He was incredible. At Arizona and Justin Herbert was good enough for the Chargers to beat the Raiders, but what a matchup! It's yeah. ought to get this ought to get tremendous ratings. Well, I say that it's Amazon's first streaming game of the year, but what a what a game! For Amazon, I can't wait to watch it. I picked the Chargers, I picked Justin Herbert's MVP, and all the reasons I did it, I didn't want to pick Buffalo or Kansas City like a lot of other people.
0: Yeah, I, I like the Chiefs, in this the Chiefs are a four point favorite. I like the Chiefs to win and cover in this game. I think, I think uh, Arrowhead Stadium is going to be insane on Thursday night. That's going to be a really tough atmosphere to go into. Um, John, the Saints, who eked out a win over the Falcons in week one, big comeback. They went into the hurry-up offense in the fourth quarter, and that got them back in the game, and they were able to uh, behind a uh, a uh, uh, is it uh, Will Lutz field goal, long field goal. The Texans have been on the end of that before. Uh, yep. Uh, they beat the Atlanta Falcons. They host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Saints are the rare team. No matter who the head coach has been or who the quarterback's been, they've had good success against Tom Brady since he got to Tampa Bay. I think they're four and one, if I'm not mistaken, uh, against Tampa Bay. Well, I'm probably maybe four and one in the last five games they've played against Tampa Bay. Um, but the Saints are a small
1: underdog at home against Tampa Bay. What do you think of that one? You know, Jameis Winston would love to play well against his former team. The way he played and in the second half of that victory over the Atlanta Atlanta's like the Texans you know they were in a position to win a game they shouldn't have won and the Falcons uh just couldn't pull it out and then Arthur Smith their second year coach and then he kind of had a meltdown in front of the media afterward but I think Tampa's going to win I'm just I picked Tampa to lose to Dallas and Dak Prescott I don't think I'll pick against the Bucks again so I'm sticking with Brady in the in the and the uh, Buccaneers to beat the Saints. Yeah, they're two-and-a-half-point
0: favorites. I or, yeah, two-and-a-half-point favorites. I, I, I've i kind of had that game circled for a while, John, just as uh, to to take the Saints in that one. I, I'm just watching Brady uh, kind of, you know, do his thing and just watching him in these press conferences and then reading some of the articles about what he's got going on off the field. Giselle did a huge kind of wide-ranging interview with Elle magazine that doesn't paint a great picture of what Brady's got going on at, at home. You know, just – uh, it seems like a lot of strife going on for him right now, and so I, who knows? Maybe this is his greatest performance yet in terms of a full season, being able to go win a Super Bowl while he's got issues going on at home. I kind of like the Saints in the upset in that one at home. I think the atmosphere is going to be raucous for the Saints, um, so I, I kind of like the Saints in that one myself. That might be one of the ones I end up playing this weekend. This one, um, the Colts, who uh, were on the road obviously here in Houston last week, They go on the road again in the division to Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars. and That's, you know, kind of similar to what I said about the Broncos. The Colts didn't lose that game to the Texans, but as you go into a season, you're kind of chalking up wins and losses. My guess is the Colts don't want to go 0-1-1 and have two of the division sad sack games behind them here. John, what do you think about Colts and Jags in Jacksonville? The Colts in this game are a um, looks like a four-point favorite in Jacksonville.
1: I think they're going to get revenge for their awful performance in yeah. the last game of last season that kept them out of the playoffs. I think they're going to play well against the Jaguars and beat them by seven to ten
0: points. Yeah, I think the, the first three quarters of that game against the Texans felt like a team kind of shaking off rust and making a bunch of silly mistakes and stuff like that. I I'm with you. I I really like I like the Colts in that one. I like the Colts in that one as well. Just kind of running my finger down the uh, down the schedule here. Um, I'm sure we have Cowboy fans that are listening to this podcast. Uh, There will be no Dak Prescott on uh, Sunday. The Cowboys are at home against a Bengals team that is coming off probably one of the more horrific losses of week one when you consider all the turnovers. Joe Burrow, four interceptions. Uh, They allowed, I think, seven sacks in that game to Pittsburgh. Um, And Dallas is going to be playing without Dak Prescott. The Bengals are more than a touchdown favorite on the road in Dallas, but they're 0-1. Both these teams 0-1 on the season. John, these are two teams a lot of folks thought were going to be in the playoffs at the end of the year. One of these teams is going to come out of this game, barring a tie,
1: 0-2. Stick a fork in the Cowboys. I don't care if Gary, if Jerry Jones says Dak Prescott's going to be back in a month, there's no way they know that. He's going to have to play with a splint when he comes back. And the truth is, Sean, they weren't very good when he was healthy. And I think Cincinnati is going to bounce back. I don't think Cincinnati is going to win the division. I picked Baltimore, but I think do think the Bengals are a better team than they showed against Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh had to go down the wire to beat them despite all those sacks and the problems they had with, with five turnovers, including four interceptions by Joe Burrow. I think the Bengals bounced back big. Well, the Bengals – and they—they they, the Steelers blocked
0: an extra point at the end of regulation. That's why the game went to overtime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Bengals are – the Bengals are a good football team. I don't know what – a lot of these teams, John, you know, the Colts, the Bengals – week one was very weird. And I wonder how much – how teams are handling the preseason have to do with that. If that's something – you know, teams kind of taking the country club laissez-faire approach to preseason kind of evens things out in, in week one a little bit. But a lot of these teams that are supposed to be good teams were really sloppy – In week one. Let's get to the primetime games, John. In fact, two Monday night games. uh, We get our Monday night doubleheader in week two as opposed to week one. And these are two games that are interesting ones. One involves the Tennessee Titans going against the best team in the AFC by most people's account, the Buffalo Bills. Um, What do you think about this one? This game is in Buffalo and Buffalo John, is is favored by 10 points in this one over the Tennessee Titans. The, the Buffalo Bills are favored by 10 points over the team that was the number one seed in the AFC last year.
1: I think uh, the Bills are going to win this game going away, as they did with the Rams. The Titans not only have, have let their receiver, A.J. Brown, go to Philly, where he had 10 catches for 155 yards. They have a big hole there. They have a big hole where their best pass rusher, Harold Landry's out. They lost one of their defensive tackles for the season in this last game, lost to the Giants by one point. And uh, even though I think Mike Vrabel is a hell of a coach, the Bills got it going on. The fans will be frothing at the mouth up there. No telling how many will get hurt jumping on tables. But I think the Bills are going to win. I think the Bills are going to win by two touchdowns.
0: Yeah, I think the Bills are going to take the Titans to the woodshed. I'm with you on that. And they've had 10 days to get ready for it, too. They played the Thursday night game to open the season. The Bills did um, as well. And, the boy, the Titans, I, what a loss that one. I'm on mean, Sunday. I don't know what – if that's something, John, where you go, boy, the Titans, that's really going to galvanize them. They lost at home to a team they shouldn't have lost
1: to, or just the Titans just aren't very good, you know? That's... Could, could be they're not very good. They need to get Derrick Henry back in the swing of things, dominating because Ryan Tannehill's not very good. If he doesn't have Henry back there to run the play action, but he doesn't have A.J. Brown, that's a huge loss. Two of the tight ends that were there two years ago are no longer – there, so they've got some personnel issues, injury issues, and the Bills right now seem to be, along with Kansas City, the best teams in the NFL.
0: Last one, John, is the other Monday night game that's part of the uh, the double head. It's a weird double header because the games are kind of they're going to be going on concurrently, or kind of the, the late game kind of starts halfway through the first game. The Bills game is on uh, Bills Titans on ESPN, kicking off at a little after six o'clock Central Time, and then at seven thirty, the Vikings are in Philadelphia to take on the Eagles in a game that's going to be kicking off at 8.30 in Philadelphia. That is going to be one sauced-up Philadelphia crowd, 8.30 at night on the East Coast for a game against the Vikings. John, I know it's a small sample size. It's one week, but the Eagles and the Vikings feel like two teams coming off of week one that a lot of folks are going, huh, maybe that's who we should have picked in the division that they're in. The Eagles in the Cowboys division, are the Eagles are now a heavy favorite to win that division because of the Prescott injury. And then the Vikings, they beat Green Bay in week one like a drum who are the favorites in those divisions. These are two really interesting early-in-the-season teams, Um, the Vikings traveling to Philly. What do you think of this one?
1: I think that Minnesota winning the game over Green Bay is great for the Vikings, but we remember how the Vikings got obliterated by the Saints in the first game last year. Saints went on to win nine, and the Vikings – I mean, the Saints went on to win nine, and the Packers got home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So the Vikings go there. It's uh, it's prime time. The Eagles fans, as you mentioned, are going to be sauced, worked into a frenzy. It's a great home field advantage. Philadelphia was lucky to win. Jalen Hurts didn't throw a touchdown pass, but he was great connecting with A.J. Brown, and he ran. They ran for over 200 yards. I think it might have been 216. They led the NFL in rushing last season, so you know they are a running team. With a running quarterback, with multiple backs they use, so I think it's going to kind of be old-fashioned football as far as the Eagles return because that's what they're best at, and I think uh, they'll win a cl- another close one. I think it'd be two or three points for the Eagles.
0: Yeah, I that's going to be a fun, it's a fun matchup of receivers. You know, AJ Brown on one side and Justin Jefferson on the other. That I think that's going to be a I think it's going to be a fun game. I just I can never back Kirk Cousins in prime time. Not Kirk Cousins Monday night. Against the drunk Philadelphia crowd, I'll take the Eagles in that one. I'll lay the points. Two and a half is the spread on that one. The Eagles uh, are nearly a uh, about a field goal favorite in that one in Philadelphia. All right, so those are the looks at the big games. John, one bit of news just came down from James Palmer of the NFL Network that impacts the Texans game. It's on the Broncos side of things. Um, Nathaniel Hackett just revealing that all-pro safety Justin Simmons – is going to miss some time. quote. He finished Monday's game with a thigh injury he suffered in the second half. Uh, this is James Palmer saying, can't replace Simmons, but the Broncos are deep in the secondary and at safety. I, I've not looked at the Broncos depth chart to know. I know they've got Kareem Jackson back there playing safety as well alongside Justin Simmons, but Simmons is a really, really good football player. Um, so things, at least moving the ball through the air, may have gotten slightly easier for the Texans on Sunday.
1: Yeah, they open it as, and remember the last time that the broncos played against the texans kareem was with the broncos he had a great game at nrg stadium player of the, week, was, Play and, of the week john yeah i'm sure he's not as angry now as he was then because they didn't even offer him a new contract. Here he is still playing. Good for him. And uh, the Texans need all the help they can get. And if Simmons is blow to the secondary, they need to try to take advantage of it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so we are done. We are out of time. We went a little longer than we thought, but this is fun digging into these games and certainly laying out the pregame six-pack for you for the Texans and the Broncos. Big thanks to uh, Figgy Fig for producing, editing, and making sure this is in your – download box every uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday at the Utopia Football Podcast. John, I enjoyed it as always. Look forward to uh, chatting with you, uh, breaking this whole thing down on Monday for the people. I do
1: too, and uh, people can read me on sportsradio610.com and Gallery Sports, and thank you very much.
0: All right, Good stuff. That's John McClain, the Hall of Famer. I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. Enjoy the game this Sunday, everybody. 325 kick. You can hear it on Sports Radio 610, the Texans Countdown Show starting at 1225. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.